الحمد لله رب العالمين قيوم السماوات والأراضين مدبر الخلائق أجمعين باعث الرسل رحمة للعالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ونبينا وحبيبنا محمد النبي المبعوث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وأصحابه وأتباعه إلى يوم الدين اللهم فقهنا في الدين وعلمنا التأويل والهمنا رشدنا يا رب العالمين يا عباد الله اتقوا الله كما أمر وانتهوا عما نهى عنه وزجر وأخرجوا حب الدنيا من قلوبكم فإنه إذا استولى أسر الحمد لله One of the amazing descriptions of our beloved messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the works of hadith that describe the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam which is the genre called the shama'il the description of the person, character and conduct of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is in a very intriguing manner that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana da'im al-bishr mutawasil al-ahzan the beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was constantly cheerful was ever cheerful yet continual in his sorrow and this is very intriguing some of the scholars said that this doesn't make sense so they tried to critique the hadith etc but the hadith tells us something of the amazing balance of our beloved messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam and contains in it in this reality that the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam kana daima al-bishr he was continually cheerful mutawasil al-ahzan yet continually sorrowful it has numerous lessons for how we should strive to approach life because in life most of us are swayed by our emotions right? there's happy things happen and people go really happy recently you know even in a place as calm and by colorful standards boring as Mississauga at one o'clock at night just down the road from here there was like it looked like you know something from other parts of the world there's honking in our neighborhood all night past nearly two o'clock because some things happen so people were very cheerful but at other times people are very sorrowful in our own lives or collectively but the Prophet ﷺ intriguingly is described as being daim al-bish, continual in his cheerfulness, meaning that whether pleasing things happen or displeasing things happen, whether there's ease or there's hardship, our beloved Messenger ﷺ would be cheerful, right? would be smiling and content, and you would see that on his face and whether things were difficult concerning on the one hand or they were 
ease and happy things taking place, he would be sorrowful. Now, how do you join between the two? The ulama tell us that, firstly, what was the joy of the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam? What was the joy of our beloved Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam? Most of us smile when we see pleasing things, or when we act, or actually feel smiley, right? Like when happy things happen, we smile, or we smile because we have to. You show up to a job interview, you're actually stressed, you're worried, but you put on a smile, right? So, so you're actually smiling because you're happy, and sometimes it just, you know, there's, there's your uncle, and he's mad at you, but you got to put on a smile, right? Husband drags you out, or wife drags you out to some gathering, and frankly, you'd like to just curl up in your blanket and do whatever. But you got to go. So you put on a smile. Do you feel cheerful? No, you just put on a cheerful face. That's how very often we live our lives. But our beloved Messenger وسلم, and this is of course what we understand for his, from his example. As Imam al-Ghazali said, لا يعرف النبي إلا نبي. No one knows the reality of a prophet except the prophet. Because what makes a human being a prophet? It's the reality of revelation. They receive revelation from Allah. So how they act and respond, their conduct, their worship, their character, their actions are governed by that reality that they've received revelation. So we can discern meanings from it. But do we know its reality? We've, we haven't and won't experience revelation. Right? But it's the wisdom and mercy of Allah that we can derive understanding from His noble example. So the Prophet ﷺ was da'imul bish because he was happy and joyous and content with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? His bish. His happiness arose from states of contentment, happiness, farah, gratitude, shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And yet, he was ever sorrowful. And much has been said about this sorrow of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But this sorrow is not worldly sorrow. There's a, there's a worldly sorrow that is not befitting the believer. It's for a believer to fall short of what their faith entails. Right? Now sometimes it may be excusable because Allah is merciful. But it's like the woman who was dejected in front of the grave of a loved one. And the Prophet ﷺ told her to be patient. And she commented that, you don't know what's happened to me. And then she realized it's the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. So Prophet ﷺ commented, after she responded, affirming that she hadn't realized it was him, ﷺ, she 
she sa- he said to her in response, "Innama sabru inda sadmatil ula." That patience is only at the first blow, pointing her to what's higher, pointing her to what's higher. So there's a worldly sorrow where we just feel down and dejected about something worldly that happens. And true faith entails that we don't have that dejection ever, ever. And you see the Prophet ﷺ when he cried. He cried at the death of his companions. He cried at the death of his own son. He cried when his granddaughter died against his noble chest. But this was not the sadness of dejection, of being down. As the Prophet ﷺ said when he had his own granddaughter against his noble chest. And he heard Umm Ayman cry out loud. He said, Ya Umm Ayman, mahad al-buka? Oh Umm Ayman, what is this crying? And she looked at the beloved messenger of Allah And he was crying. So she said, Ya Rasulullah, alastu araka tabki? Do I not see you cry? And, but notice the adab. She didn't say, but you're crying. She says, Alastu araka tabki. Do I not see you crying? Right? Then maybe I made a mistake. Maybe it's sweat. I don't know. Right? That's adab. Alastu araka tabki. Do I not see you cry? And he said, This is not crying. Meaning, this is not the crying of dejection and feeling down. Innama huwa rahma. It is but mercy. It is but mercy. And then he said, وسلم, for the believer is in all good in all his states. The believer may be facing death, yet they are content and praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is, so, the, the, so what is this sorrow? Because the Prophet وسلم, said when his own son passed away, that the, that the eyes may cry and the heart feels pain, but we say only that which is pleasing to Allah. So this sorrow, right? This sorrow, the ulama tells us, has an aspect related to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is our feeling awed before the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We feel awed before the azamah of Allah, the tremendousness of Allah. We feel awed before the kibriya of Allah, the greatness of God, when we say Allahu Akbar, right? we're humbled and shaken as faith would entail. Right? That when Allah's verses are recited, what happens to the hearts and even skins of the believers? They, they, they shake in awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? This, this is something of the, the sorrow before Allah. There's also the sorrow of one sense of responsibility before God, the sense that I am falling short before my Lord, that Allah deserves better. Allah deserves better. Whatever you do, the most perfect deserves even better than that. So that's one aspect of the sorrow. The other aspect of the sorrow is deep concern for the good of others is deep concern about the good of others. The Prophet 
when he was silent, he would be silent in reflecting on the good, what people needed in their religion and in their worldly lives. And he would be reflecting, what can I be doing in life? What can I facilitate in life to fulfill for others the greatest possible good in the best possible ways? As Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib described the silence of the Prophet ﷺ, which is why though the Messenger of Allah ﷺ was the best possible companion in any gathering, he gave everyone in his gathering a due share of his attention ﷺ. People would feel that they were the most special person in the gathering. So much so that we have several companions who ask the Messenger ﷺ, who is the most beloved of the companions to you? Who is the best of the companions? thinking that they were that person. Of course, the Prophet ﷺ had to tell them the truth. I saw maybe I'm number two. Right? He gave everyone full attention, yet he's described in his gatherings as being lengthy of silence. He would be looking down for, for long periods of time. Why? Because he would have deep concern for the good of others. When the Prophet ﷺ walked with his companions, he frequently walked behind his companions ﷺ. Even though the norm for a leader, for someone senior, for someone respected, is that they walk ahead. And that's actually the adab, is to let the senior person go ahead. But the Prophet ﷺ would frequently walk behind. And he told them, leave my back for the angels. But they say one of the reasons for that is that the Prophet ﷺ would, would have so much concern for his companions is that he observed them carefully. Who is missing? So he would find out. So he could go encourage people that, oh, have you seen, where is so-and-so? And the Prophet ﷺ asked in many hadiths, where is so-and-so? Because people sometimes would be sick, sometimes would have difficulty. Sometimes some of the companions did not have enough clothing to get to the masjid. Because if they washed their clothing, they didn't have enough clothes to be fully covered out of poverty. Sometimes someone would be feeling down about something. When the verses came to lower one's voice in the presence of the Messenger وسلم, it's related that Hassan ibn Thabit was worried that that was about him because he was the, one of the designated poets of the Prophet وسلم, and he would chant poetry at the command of the Prophet وسلم, in the masjid. So he's worried that maybe that's about me. Right? But the Prophet used to, to seek out and pay attention to his companions even in the khutbah. Even in the khutbah. We know the hadith about when the Prophet was giving the khutbah and a man came in during the khutbah. And the Prophet paused his khutbah and asked him whether he'd prayed. And while he was praying, and told him to pray. And while he was praying, some of the narrations mentioned the Prophet was looking at the man. So what did the companions do? They too were looking at the man. And then after that, the Prophet started talking about the importance of charity and assisting others and meanings that with tact and discretion, the number of companions commented. That, so we understood that the Messenger of Allah was encouraging us to assist him. So imagine, he's giving a khutbah. 
someone comes in and he notices that they're in difficulty. They're in difficulty, which is of course why there's also the difference of opinion. Both the Hanafis and the Malikis held it not Sunnah to, to perform on Sunnah once the khutbah has begun. And there's difference of opinion. Others said, no, the Prophet told them to pray, so you pray. And that's the position taken by the Shafi'is and others. And this is part of the diversity of our religious tradition. Which one is right? The companions differed. So you see this deep concern of the Prophet What does that tell us as his followers? What does it tell us as his followers? Is that we should always strive to combine these two qualities. In any situation, whether happy or joyous or successful or sad, distressful, hard, we should always stir the, the, the meanings of contentment and gratitude and happiness within. Why? Because our contentment is not with this life. We're going to die. It's a losing proposition. You're going to die. Right? Right? There's nothing after the final hole. Right? The, once you get into the grave, the golf game of life is over. Right? There's the annual golf tournament here. Right? There's, there's nothing af after you go into the hole. You're gone. So you're going to lose at the end anyways. Unless you realize you're a servant of Allah. Unless you realize there's a hereafter. And when you realize that, that you are a servant of Allah, Allah has blessed you with faith. He has blessed you with guidance. He has blessed you with good. Doesn't matter what's going on. Remember that you have faith. You have guidance and you have good. Even if every organ has failed, right? And your heart is still beating, you have a few more moments of this life, and that is good. Because you could be content with Allah, you could be grateful, and you earn reward even if you don't do any other acts of good. Our faith, our contentment, and our gratitude are the greatest acts of good. Right? So that is our constant cheerfulness, even in difficulty. But also, to be constantly conscious servants of Allah Taala, That even when we're cheerful and we're rejoicing, when we're happy, we remember that we are servants of Allah. Right? We are servants of Allah. We have our duty before Allah, and we must think about the good of others. So even small gestures, you go to some parade, you think, okay, how can I be a good servant of Allah? People are going to be standing in the heat. Maybe I'll take some water with me. Maybe I could be of help to, to some of the older people. Maybe take an extra chair, not for myself, but for others. To be always thinking about the good of others. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this beautiful balance of always being cheerful, out of contentment and gratitude, but also to be, to be always full of concern, concern about the good in our relationship with Allah, and concerned for the good of others, and to ask ourselves, how can I be a truly grateful servant of Allah?
الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ونبينا وحبيبنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا One of the ways to stir these meanings of both cheerfulness and deep sense of responsibility is to strive to keep one's tongue moist with the remembrance of Allah. And one of the ways to do that is to re- recite the different modes of remembrance of dhikr that the Prophet ﷺ taught and we'll close with that. The Prophet ﷺ said that there's two statements that are, br- that are small on the tongue yet weighty on the scales and beloved to the most merciful. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanallah al-Azim. Glory be to Allah and all praise. Glory be to Allah, the tremendous. Astaghfirullah. I seek Allah's forgiveness. And Imam Bukhari closed his sahih with this hadith for many beautiful reasons. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Glory be to Allah with all praise. So you have the sense of awe, but also the sense of contentment. Glory be to Allah, the tremendous. Astaghfirullah, I seek Allah's forgiveness. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us to be ever cheerful, yet ever concerned. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala Sayyidina wa Nabiyina wa Habibina Muhammad. وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا اللهم اغفر لنا وللمسلمين والمسلمات والمؤمنين والمؤمنات الأحياء منهم والأموات ربنا إنك قريب سميع مجيب الدعوات يا أرحم الراحمين يا أرحم الراحمين يا أرحم الراحمين oh Allah we ask you that you grant us deep mercy in our hearts so we have deep concern for the good and for, for mercy from you in our lives and in the lives of your creation we ask you that we have deep concern for you so that we truly strive to embody mercy in our dealings with others and in our relationships with others and to have deep concern for the good of all your creation. Ya Rabbil Alameen, we ask you that you preserve in faith and and guidance and goodness our parents and our teachers and our families and our communities and the whole ummah of your beloved Messenger that you preserve the good in this land and make us all ambassadors and embodiments of goodness in our lives and in our society. Ya Rabbil Alameen, wa salli wa sallim wa barik ala Sayyidina wa Nabina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa aqimu salam.